Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is Igniting the Incense by Pastor Sean Wood. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. Thank you for the power that is in your word. As we open your word, we pray that you would open our hearts and open our eyes. We ask in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Uh, As you're making your way to Exodus chapter 30, uh, for those that read the pastor's comments this morning, uh, we we live in a time today where once upon a time, the the most important question regarding Christianity was, is it true? We've now moved into a, a time when the most important question that's being asked concerning Christianity today is, does it work? Maybe it's true, maybe there is a God, but what does that mean for me as an individual every day? And as we've been working our way through the, the account of the tabernacle and we've, we've learned about the promise of the presence of God with the Ark of the Covenant and, and we've seen the table of fellowship and the table of shewbread and the, and the golden lampstand and we've had a look at the brazen altar and the truth that we have a wonderful and glorious high priest and as we've unfolded all of that, I guess we move now to a point when we say, So what? What about me on Monday? I hear the presence. I I hear the promises of God's presence. We we all read the same scriptures. We, We hear the promises of Christ. But many people are asking, so what on Monday morning? How can I, for want of a better term, plug in? Uh... So you enter this building, for example, we just take for granted the fact that there's electricity. It all runs behind the walls and through the ceilings. But if you want to access that power, you have to plug into it and trust that it works. So the big question this morning is, how do we plug in? And as we look at the last piece of furniture in the tabernacle, the most important thing about this piece of furniture is not its dimensions, is not its colours, but where it's situated. Uh, Exodus chapter 30 uh, talks about the altar of incense. And when you read Exodus chapter 30, you think, what is this all about? And we read about an altar. It's interesting, it's an altar that God will stipulate no sacrifices. Yes, it's an altar. Yes, a fire will be lit but not for sacrifices. No animals are to be sacrificed, no grain offerings, no fellowship offerings. This altar was for burning incense only. And when you walked into the holy place, you would have the table of shewbread on the right, you would have the lampstand on the left, and you would have the altar of incense right in the middle, just this side of the veil right before the presence of God. It's like it's the thing that plugs into the power behind the curtain. When you go to a department store and you buy this new fan-dangled hydro bath shaving kit for your cat, <laughs> that's payback for the kale, Don. The first question you ask when you get home is, you have a look at the box, it's got all the promises, you know, you can drown your cat, and it's got a picture of a bald cat dripping wet, and you're thinking, that's what I want, right? But does it actually work? And as we read through the wonderful, glorious promises of the tabernacle and God's word, uh, how does it work? Does it work? And how can I access that? 
all asking really great questions today. What is the altar of incense and how does it apply to my life in everyday uh, Christianity? Uh, as you work your way through scripture, uh, you'll find references, for example, in Psalms 141, where the writer of the Psalm, David, says, let my prayer be as incense before you. And then if you move on to Luke chapter 1, you'll, you'll read the time when Zechariah was in the temple. It was his lot. Uh, the lot fell on him. Uh, this is the time when John the Baptist is announced. And, and he's in there burning incense and everybody's just outside praying. And then as we come into uh, the glorious picture of the really true tabernacle that we find in the book of Revelation, what John sees. What did you see, John? I see golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. You know what? We overcomplicate Christianity sometimes. Uh, I've found, I've I've had a number of conversations with wonderful people of God that come to me and you say, you know what, pastor, I I believe in Jesus. I've been in church a long time, but you know, this whole Christianity thing, it's, it's just not working for me. And it's not long before you scratch beneath the surface and you find there's one commonality beneath the surface. And the commonality is the fires on the altar of incense have started to burn down. You start talking about God's word and you start talking about prayer, things that sound very simple, but they say, oh no, I, 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 well, I come to church on Sundays. The presence of God is available to us. We will see, not only just on Sundays, of course, but every day and every moment of every day. The altar of incense has some beautiful truths to teach us about our very own prayer life and worship life. Now, before I go any further, underneath the banner of that, sits a multitude of things, prayer, worship, reading God's word, sitting still in his presence. Can, can, can I tell you today that prayer should be at least 80% shut your pie hole and 20% this is what I've got to say. And, and I love Corey Ten Boone. Corey Ten Boone would say, you know, by the time I finish thanking God and praising him for all that he is and all that he's done, I find that my prayer list is empty because I know that he'll take care of it. But... The reality is we can plug in every day and enjoy the sweet presence and power of God. If you read through scripture, and I'm sure if we got people up to give testimonies, uh, the scripture teaches us that prayer changes things. Prayer changes God. But most importantly, prayer changes us. There are instances in scripture where prayer changed God's mind. But most of all, prayer changes us. Let's unpack a few things. If you've turned to Exodus 30, you can work your way through the scriptures later on. But uh, number one thing that we need to know is where the altar of incense is positioned. Right before the veil, we understand what the uh, altar of incense is. It's like our prayer life. Uh, but the other thing we learn is that the priest would have to burn the incense. And we'll, we'll get to the ingredients of the incense in a moment. They are really important. And when we get to the ingredients, please hear the word ingredients and not recipe. When it comes to prayer life... This is not an ABC, one, two, three, just give me a little bit of methodology. It doesn't work like that. (laughs) Jesus has, however, given us some wonderful ingredients that we'll unpack in a moment. But also on the altar of incense, there were certain ingredients that will become important in a moment. But the, the priests would have to light the altar of incense every morning and every night. You see, what it's teaching us about our prayer life is this isn't just a Sunday thing. 
This isn't just a, uh, we just do this for half an hour or an hour in the morning. That's not what scripture teaches us. So often we have the habit of compartmentalizing our lives where we think, well, uh, uh, prayer is just for a half an hour in the morning. We, we kind of draw a line in our lives between the secular and the sacred. No line in scripture exists. What the flame and what the altar of incense teaches us is this was to be ever burning. Uh, for those, if you have not read this book, please go and grab this book and read it. But it's interesting. I remember as a young Christian, uh, I found a book on the shelf at the bookstore that said practice of the presence of God. And I thought, hey, that's something I want to do. I would love to practice the presence of God. You'll find in that book, it's all about prayer. And it's all about a, a monk that said, you know what, when I'm peeling potatoes, I can be praying and worshipping God. And, and, and when I'm out in the fields, I can be praying and worshipping God. And, and when I'm drowning the cat and giving it a shave, I can, I can be worshipping and <laughs> one hand lifted high as you got the cat in the bath. Bet you're glad you came now, Roscoe. <laughs> but often we shut the door, and that's not how God ever intended our lives to be lived. And, and often we think prayer has to be... Uh, I've known people that think prayer has to be, the really spiritual ones, in old King James. <laughs> Brother Richard. Brother Richard says, is there any other language? <laughs> that's a sermon for another day. But... Uh, this is sometimes it's not even what you vocalise. I love A. W. Tozer in his book, The Pursuit of the Presence of God. He says, you know what? Sometimes prayer can just be a thousand thought prayers a day, where you just return your attention back to God, God, and you're stoking the fires on the altar. Lord, I remember you. And and Nehemiah helps us with this. Nehemiah is before the king, and in Nehemiah's day, you weren't allowed to look sad in the presence of the king, but he was looking sad because he heard that Jerusalem was in ruins. Something really interesting happens. He's in a conversation with the king and the king asks him a question. And Nehemiah doesn't go, two minutes, I just, I just got to jump in the prayer closet. That's not what Nehemiah said. In fact, Nehemiah didn't vocalise anything, but in the narrative it says, I prayed unto the Lord. And you're reading the narrative thinking, when did you do that? No words were spoken. You didn't go off and... Hang on a second, I've just got to get my old King James out and poke behind the curtain for a minute. None of that happened. But in that moment, as he's in conversation, he says, I prayed unto the Lord and God heard. We can be praying just as we're going about our everyday life. And, and the fires on the altar of incense were never meant to burn for moments in your life. They were meant to burn all through your life. And, and so we can have this wonderful, sweet communion and fellowship with the Lord. That's what it's teaching us. You want to plug in today, then... Maybe return focus to the Lord. We, For those that read the pastor's comments about God's blueprint this morning, God has given us the wonderful, glorious privilege of building the house of our lives. Then he gave us the blueprint and said, go and build your house. But often we move away from the blueprint and often what we do is we build the house and we build a back room out the back for God. Here's, here's my house, Lord, I'm building my house, here's my work, and here's my family, and here's my fishing, which is like this, okay, so we get that, that's the, when you're reading the blueprint, that's the really big room, and here's your little, here's your little room out the back, when God demands not to be a compartment or a room in your house, he demands to be the house, by which you then divide your life up into as you build, that's what the blueprint teaches us.
It's the altar of incense teaches us that the flames ever burn. And the other wonderful truth, as you read through uh, the processes, what would happen is they would move the tabernacle. And when they did, they would have to dedicate the tabernacle. And by God's way of showing his approval when they dedicated the tabernacle was uh, the brazen altar, which is outside in the courtyard, the brazen altar would be divinely lit. And then the high priest would take a coal from the brazen altar and he would carry it all the way into the tabernacle and he would light the altar of incense with that coal. And that's teaching us that the fire and the passion that's inside of us, that, that, that fire that burns inside of us of a relationship with God is a fire that is lit from heaven. Uh, going back to the days of Elijah, we all remember the days of Elijah when uh, he calls a... Uh, he, by the way, that's not, a, that's not an evangelical meeting. He called the people of God to the bottom of the Mount Carmel because they were worshipping. He brought all the prophets of Baal. The prophets of Baal had a bad day, but Elijah built an altar and Elijah prepares the stones and he, he prepares the animal. But where did the fire come from? Heaven. And for far too long in church circles, we have been content to shuffle the stones and shuffle the animal on the sacrifice when God is waiting for us to lift our hands and allow him to light the fire that is in our hearts. Friends, 2,000 years ago, God lit the fire at Pentecost. And only he can take the coals and light the fires in each and every one of our hearts. And, and Paul uses this language, and, and I would encourage, don't press send on the emails yet, but I would encourage everybody to pray in tongues as often as you can, because that's what Paul says. But when Paul says pray in the Spirit on all occasions, he means something very different. Could it include tongues? Absolutely. Does Paul make that distinction? Absolutely. He says, I encourage you to pray in tongues. But in Ephesians chapter 6, when he's talking about warfare, spiritual warfare, he says, pray in the spirit on all occasions. Pray as the spirit leads. Here's how to know when your prayer life is more orientated towards the spirit. You'll be praying something different every day. It could be the same, you could be praying for the same person every day, but the Spirit leads you to pray and some often inspired by the Word. And so that's a divinely lit fire. But we need to be careful. Throughout Scripture you'll find that, particularly when it comes to the tabernacle, God says to Moses that you are to make the tabernacle according to the pattern that I will give you. What's God saying? You don't go and get to draw this for yourself. And when it comes to the altar of incense, God says you will burn incense according to the ingredients. They are holy consecrated ingredients that God gave the priest to burn. And if you burnt any other incense or any other ingredient, it was called strange or unauthorised fire. A couple of instances. Uh, the main one is Nadab and Abihu. And God has just spent nine chapters in Leviticus, telling everybody what worship should look like and how it should... This is the pattern for worship. And then Nadab and Abihu, sons of Aaron, by the way, Nadab and Abihu go, you know what? Yeah, that's great, but we're going to do worship our way. We want to bring a few of our ingredients. God, we want to do worship, and this is how we want to do worship, and, and we need to be careful bringing our own ingredients. If you bring that forward into our day, nothing has changed. I want to be clear this morning, and this is probably where... You might send, press the send button on a few emails this morning, but I want to be clear this morning. We don't light the fires here. God lights the fire. 
we don't come to God and say, hello, this is Sunday, God, and, and I've got my plan all mapped out for you and how you're going to move today. That's not how it operates. That's not how God operates. Any theology, call it whatever you like, but any theology in any way, shape or form that puts God in a box or tells him how he has to be our servant is heresy. It's not scripture. Scripture says we're his servants. Scripture asks us to come and surrender. Many thousands of years ago, God came to a man by the name of Abram. Called him out and says, I am calling you into a land that I have prepared, not only for him, but for his ancestors. He would, he would never see it. And on the divine side, we see that God brings, God leads, God takes. But on Abraham's side, we see trust and surrender. Every step of the way is trust and surrender. Trust and surrender. Trust and surrender. Lord, you do it your way. And, and after we finish Exodus, we're going to move into a series about coming into the calling of God because there is a land that God has prepared for every person in this room that God would like to bring us into. So we learn that the fires burn all the time. We learn that it is a divinely lit fire. And then if you go to the end of chapter 30, you'll read that there were special ingredients. And those ingredients were things like frankincense and other things, but there had to be a particular ingredient and particular aroma. And if you walked into the holy place at any point in time, the holy place was filled with the aroma of the incense of the Lord. As we move into the New Testament, how does that apply to us? What, what ingredients do we have? And this is what I am so thankful for Jesus for, because Jesus gives us this ingredient and a list of ingredients. Interesting just to note, uh, often we look at the gospel accounts and we read about Jesus who had all the authority when he spoke. You ever, you ever heard those verses? Like verses in the Gospel of John where they send the temple guards to arrest him and they come back empty-handed and, and they say, where is he? And they say, you don't seem to understand. Nobody ever spoke like this man. He speaks with an authority. He teaches with an authority. We, we read in the Gospels of a Jesus that raised the dead. We read in the Gospels of a Jesus that healed the sick and set those that were oppressed by the enemy. He set them free miraculously by the power of God. And we also read of the God-man who left us an example that while we're reading all the flash and bang of the miracles, he had a, that was all underpinned by a life of prayer. The very son of the almighty God is teaching us that underneath all of that, like the trunk of the tree, is a life rooted and grounded in prayer. I challenge you this week, read the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark and Luke, and highlight the amount of times you read Jesus was praying, he went to a desolate place, he, went, he was by himself, he went away by himself. You will note that Jesus models for us the most important step to accessing that power is plugging in through prayer. We overcomplicate this. We think, well, you know, we've just got to make ourselves holy. Good luck with that, by the way. Well, when I get holy, 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 and when Jesus deals with all my rubbish, and when I make myself acceptable enough, you'll never do that. You don't have to. <laughs> That's the beautiful truth of the gospel of Jesus. None of us have to make ourselves anything. Jesus has come and has done what we could not do. 
Jesus was off praying. And when he came back, his disciples said to him, they said, you know what? We recognise there's something different about you when it's prayer. Teach us to pray. And we are going to breeze through these verses. We could spend months in these verses. But this morning, I want to encourage you. And as we work through this, please search your own hearts and ask yourself the question, how's my smoke life? Not the stuff you buy at the tobacconist, but how much smoke is rising off your prayer life? How are the fires on the altar of incense in your life? And and often we can sit here on Sundays and go, you know what, Uh, this Christianity thing, it's just not working for me. Well, the question I have today is, are you plugged in? Jesus, teaching about prayer, first thing he says in chapter 6, he says, when you pray... Go into your room. Go into a place alone. And uh, we're going to pick out a few uh, very important things that Jesus taught us. But, but prayer in the first century, these guys like to dress in their uh, beautiful robes with their huge phylacteries. That's a sermon for another day. And they like to stand out in public with these big King James kind of prayers and, and the these and the vows and the their arts. And, and they, they were brilliant at reciting scripture and they were brilliant with their vocabulary, but their hearts were empty and there was no fire burning on the inside. Jesus says, look, don't be like these guys. Go into the room and close your door. And God the Father who sees what you do in secret. And so I would would encourage everybody in this place today, number one thing this week, if you haven't already done this, find your desolate place. Find that place where the phone's off, where you can't hear the emails, where the cat's outside, And it's just you and the Lord. Come without an agenda. We'll get to more of it in a moment, but I always start in the morning by opening the Word and asking the Holy Spirit to breathe on my heart. It's When we think about stoking the fires, and I remember when we were camping, you know how you get camping, you're trying to start a fire and in Tasmania, it can be hard to start a fire because, believe it or not, it rains every day. But um, we, you kind of start with the embers and you, you, you're blowing on this thing trying to get it going. And, and so I would just encourage you today that if you're sitting here going, you know what, I, I could really do with the breath of the Lord blowing on the coals of my heart, then Second Timothy 3.16 is quite clear. All scripture is God-breathed. You know, when I open his word and I just come without an agenda, so often I can feel the Holy Spirit breathing. That word breathe, pneuma, is the same word that's used for spirit. Go into your room and close the door. And here's one, uh, uh, verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases. And so uh, in the first century, these guys would babble on thinking that uh, this is actually really important. They understood that they thought the basis that God will hear me is how many fancy words I use and how long I talk. If If I talk for ages and use all the really fancy spiritual words and if I can quote heaps of scripture, on that basis, God will hear me. Jesus is about to introduce the basis for how God hears us in a moment, but it's not how many words you use. Sometimes the most profound prayers are no more than a couple of words and maybe not even any words. God hears 
C.H. Spurgeon would say, that every thought is like speech before God. Scary, right? Thank you, C.H. Spurgeon. Jesus goes on and says, this is not the means or the basis by which you are heard, but we are heard how? Our Father. The basis that we can approach God is the fact that we are the children of God and he is our Father. Those two words that Jesus uses here are relationship words. They are relational words. And in the first century, for Jesus to stand in a crowd of Jews and say, God is my Father, was blasphemous. When Jesus is on trial leading to the cross and they ask him many questions, most of them he doesn't answer. But when they ask him about whether he is the son of God, he answers them and says, I am the son of God and he is my father. And that blasphemy is what makes them drag him to the cross. But it's not a blasphemy. Jesus came to make us the children of God. We have a relationship and a standing with the Lord by which we can approach. Our Father, we're going to get to some really scary words this morning. We're going to find that prayer is probably less about what you say and more about a heart attitude. Our Father, hallowed be your name. And and for the AFL folk in the room, uh, that word hallowed, the translators have never changed that word and neither should they. To be hallowed is to be reverenced or to be or to be adorned or to be praised. But here's one way to understand it. Uh, every week they play AFL games across Australia and they play AFL games on a various amount of the real football. They don't play, yeah, just so that we're getting the Greek right. And, and they play on a variety of grand, But when they play the grand final, they play the grand final on the Hallowood turf in their books. You see, the MCG is the Hallowood turf because it's been set apart. This is the special place. This is the birthplace. This is the home. And so the MCG holds a special place in AFL. And so what Jesus is saying here is, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. And, and all about, that is all about lifting up and praising the name of the Lord and, and being grateful for who he is and it's with a heart attitude of reverence. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. And that word kingdom means God's dominion, God's reign and God's rule. And so Jesus says when you're praying, some of the ingredients of prayer is praying for God's kingdom to come, not only in the lives of those who don't know him, but also in our lives. May your kingdom come through us to others. May your kingdom come. So we should be praying for those absolutely who don't know the Lord, but we should also be praying that his kingdom would grow and extend in our own lives. Here's some really scary words coming up. Remember in the garden, remember in the first sanctuary, which was the Garden of Eden, uh, remember how God drove them out of, the, of his presence and out of Eden, uh, drove them eastward, and now we come westward through the east gate back to the tabernacle, of course. But, but notice the catch cry in the garden was... My will be done. Fast forward a few thousand years and Jesus would stand in another garden. But this time he would say, Thy will 
be done. Mm. Yeah, you were going really well, Pastor, until you got to that line. You, things were sounding really good. Things were sounding really cushy. Things were sounding really good. But, but how many of us, when we pray, slide a blank sheet of paper across the table? How many of us, when we pray, say, Lord, uh, I want this, this or this, or, or do this, this and this, or maybe it's even save this person, and then we slide a piece of paper across the table, all filled out, and Lord, this is how you can do it. How many of us slide the piece of paper across the table and say, your will be done? Not my will, but your will. And we can work through these words. Sounds really easy to say, doesn't it? But in the everyday practicalities of life, Father, save our children, but your will be done. Father, heal this person, but your will be done. Lord, grow your church, your will be done. Grow your church your way, Lord, in your timing, Lord. How many of us, if we're honest, in the past have slid that piece of paper across the table and said, Lord, uh, here are your mandates and here's the time frames for what I'm asking. Scripture teaches us God is sovereign. He moves according to his will. Not ours. You're welcome, by the way. I didn't write these words. This is why I love preaching the Bible. I didn't write it. Still get you into a fair bit of trouble. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Those words are profound. And this is why I love the book of Revelation. And have whatever opinions you like about the book of Revelation. But here's what it is. It's not Revelations with an S. It's a revelation. And it was written to seven churches. It's actually a letter. And it was written to seven churches at a time when everything on earth was going gangbusters. Everything was going chaotic. We had we had emperors that were castrating their servants so they could marry them. We had uh, emperors that were lighting Rome and then they were blaming the Christians for it. We had, we had uh, an oppressive empire that would take Christians and look dip them in tar and put them up in a pole and light them so they could light the streets of Rome over nighttime. Things were out of control. In the first century, if you persecuted a Christian, you were actually celebrated for doing it. Now imagine being in those churches in those days. We may yet see that. It may not be as far away as you think it is. And in those times when everything's going gangbusters, imagine trying to pray, Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and as soon as you like would be good. (laughs) But there was one man that was on the Isle of Patmos, and John was on the Isle of Patmos because they tried to kill him, and when they put him in a boiling vat of oil and they couldn't kill him, Nero says, put him on Patmos and get him out of my sight. And he he has a vision, he has a revelation while he's on the island. And in chapter 4, God says, come up here. And in a moment, and in a, in a blink of an eye, John 
looking from below, sees all the chaos and all the random threads, and in a moment, he sees the other side of the tapestry, and he sees God's unfolding plan. He sees the God of the universe seated upon the throne, and he just knows everything's going to be all right. And so, if you want to know what is the overarching message of the book of Revelation... Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. God is seated on the throne. He's not disturbed. Jesus is returning and you better be ready. That's the message of the book of Revelation. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's not always easy to pray. Give us this day our daily bread, which is praying for our own needs. And this one's really interesting. Forgive us our debts. Sin and offences are listed as a debt that you incur against someone. But there's a clause here. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, Jesus makes it clear. If you were going up to the temple to pray and you have something against your brother, leave your gift, go and sort out that matter, then come to the temple. You see, prayer is dealing more with us as we work our way through. Forgive us our debts as we've also forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And the word temptation there is testings and trials. Lead us not into testings and trials, but deliver us from the evil one. God has made provision for us by which we can plug in to him. I'm going to ask the stewards if they could hand out the emblems as we come around the Lord's table. I want to ask you a question today. Recently, we were in our night service, and we're back tonight, but recently in our night service, we looked at uh, John chapter 7, about living water. And the conversation about a woman of the world came up again, and I want to ask a question before I want to go any further. Are Are you thirsty this morning? You see, there was a woman. Maybe this woman sounds a bit like some of us in this room. There was a woman in a nearby village and Jesus had sent his disciples off. He says to this woman, as she comes to the well to draw water, in the middle of the day, this woman comes in the middle of the day when most other women come in the morning or the evening and they come in groups, this woman comes alone and she comes in the middle of the day. She wasn't very well accepted by everybody else. She comes and when and the person that nobody else wanted anything to do with Jesus strikes up a conversation with her. And as this woman's drawing water or about to draw water, Jesus says, give me a drink. She says... Good question, by the way. She says, how is it that you, a Jew, are asking a drink from a Samaritan like me? That's, in, in our language, that would be, why are you from the south side asking f- f- me from the north side? For, we don't do that. We don't drink water from the north side, Liz. It's, it's tainted. And so <coughs> Jesus' answer is actually really profound. Jesus said, if you knew the gift of God, gift, Holy Spirit, If you knew the gift of God and you knew the one whom you were speaking to, you would ask of him and he would give you living water and you wouldn't be thirsty again. 
And there are two truths and applications here all at once, and that is that our culture is a lot like that woman. They're perched around the wells of the world trying to fill an inner thirst. This lady had chosen many, we will find, that she was trying to quench her thirst with many temporary, short, shallow relationships. But today people use a raft of different worlds. It could be, it could be your business, it could be, your, it could be shallow relationships, it could be success, it could be how many friends you have on Facebook and Instagram, and it could be all those sorts of things that kind of make us or we think attribute to our identity, but at the end of the day, they rob us. And there are many worlds in this world and there are people who are thirsty. But there's another truth here, and the truth is that there are church pews that are filled with thirsty Christians. Yes, you love Jesus. I'm not going to deny that for a moment. You love Jesus and you've been following Jesus, but, but if you're honest, you say, you know what, there's a thirst on the inside. This morning as we come around the Lord's table, can we remember the gift that Jesus came to give us? What I love about Jesus is these women of the worlds, the lepers, tax collectors, all of the people that everybody else frowned upon, looked down upon, discarded, Jesus would always start a conversation with them. This woman would go on and say, how do I get this living water? And so Jesus immediately brings the conversations to where it needs to be. Go and get your husband. She says, I don't have any husband. And he says, you're right. The man you now have is not your husband. And the other five men weren't your husband either. As they work their way through the narrative, Jesus highlights something very beautiful for us to her, that the Jews and the Samaritans were fighting about theology and, and Jesus said to her, you, you worship who you don't know. And they're fighting about theology, they're fighting about monuments and places. And Jesus says, you know what, there is a time coming and the hour is now here, because Jesus was there, when you will no longer worship on this mountain, but you will worship in spirit and in truth. You see, worship wasn't about where you were, it wasn't about a building, it wasn't about a place, it wasn't about the first five books of the Bible or whatever, it was about worshipping God in spirit and in truth in a true knowledge of who he is, but with the fires ignited by the Holy Spirit. Friends, as we come around the table, uh, how many of us have been that woman of the world? How many of us have come to that world and all we have is a broken past? How many of us sitting here today would look inside of ourselves and say, Lord, I'm thirsty? How many of us might say or think that we're not worthy? How many of us are sitting here this morning thinking, you know what, I, I, I love what you've had to say today, Pastor, but that's for the super spiritual people. That's, that's, that's not for me. And Jesus makes it clear that he came to open the fountains of living water for us all.
As we come around the table remembering the Lord's sacrifice, I remember the words of Jesus. Where he said, as he broke the bread and passed it to his disciples, he said, this is my body broken for you. Can we eat together in the presence of the Lord, remembering what he has done for us? This morning we sang about the blood of Jesus. And as we've journeyed through the tabernacle, we understand that every footstep that the high priest took towards the most holy place were footsteps on blood-stained stones. And Jesus, this morning as we, as we sit in this place and as we are so grateful for what you have done for us, we remember that every step we take towards the living God are steps on blood-stained stones that, that you have gone before us. Let us drink together in the presence of the Lord this morning, remembering what his sacrifice has paid for for us. As we just sit quietly, maybe there's one or two that would like to say a a word of thanks. Jesus, you said, let those who are thirsty come. Come and drink of the fountains of living water. And Father, I pray that as we conclude here this morning, and I pray that, Lord, the fires on our altars of incense, Lord God, that those fires would be kindled and breathed upon. Lord, I pray, Father, that we who are often a thirsty people, we we hunger and we thirst for so many things, Lord. I, I pray that we would thirst for you alone. Lord, that we would know the fountains of living water, that, that we, would, we would know the fires, the divinely lit fire of Pentecost burning deeply in our hearts, Lord God. I pray that that fire would fall and light our hearts. May we experience, Lord, we seek not what you have, Lord, but we seek you for who you are. In your glorious name we pray this morning. Amen. 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 Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.